Welcome to the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the one, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. This is episode number 71. That's right. We've done this 70 times. <laughs> Each and Your every is still week. on point. <laughs> Each and every week, Monday mornings at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast, Stitcher Radio, and on iTunes, which is where practically everyone listens to us on their iPhones. Listen to us yes. on the trip into work. Every morning, all you internet marketers out there, if you listen and love us, tell a friend, rating slash review on iTunes for us. That would help us greatly. Also, if you have ideas, recommendations for the show, 904-270-9603, your texts and voicemails will be listened to. I anxiously await all of your suggestions. We listen to all of them and we try to get to the topics people recommend on the next show that we do. Before we get started, what are you drinking? Well, I'm trying to mix it up this episode, so I made myself a Manhattan. How about yourself? I don't like to mix things up. <laughs> I like to stick to my like tried and true. schedule. Exactly. I'm doing a Moscow Mule. Okay, okay. So you know that. I don't have to tell everybody how to make one of those <laughs> by now. I feel like if you've listened to us at all, you know. Well, we're still waiting on that scotch sampler to come across the pond, so once we get that... We'll be mixing some things up. I'm pretty sure Custom stole it. <laughs> this looks nice. I'll it. take this yeah, home. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's do a rundown for today's episode. Interesting topics as usual. Filtering through all the noise to give you interesting things to discuss. What actually matters. Yeah. Right. Some of the things that you can take away. First things first, we love just the concept of getting back to basics. You know, there's a a lot of dynamic elements within online marketing, but what are some things where we need to go back and maybe revisit? We're going to talk about some things with Google Analytics today. Also, we're going to direct some attention to how much focus are you bringing to your customers and does that actually make a difference to your bottom line? A lot of people in this space are focused on conversion and margins, cost of acquisition, things like that, but how much are you really focusing on that customer and are you potentially harming your bottom line? Moving right along, native advertising, curated content. Rob's going to explain that to us. And where he sees, he's going to pull out his crystal ball. Yep. Where is the future heading? It's and actually a magic eight ball. But. <laughs> and we're going to wrap it up with our infamous Google Corner, checking in on what things are happening over in Mountain View. But first things first, Rob's going to get his professor hat on. What are some things in Google Analytics that we need to know to be successful? So I learned a few things actually this week from Google Analytics, new features, not some new features, some old features I'd forgotten about okay. that applied to some new things we we're doing with clients. I felt the need to bring this to the podcast. I want this to be an interactive one. I want your input on most of these points. That's going to cost you. You know, you throw out some features that you think are important. Okay. But, you know, GA, obviously it's the OG one, G-A-O-G. <laughs> it's been around for a while. It's free. It's grown immensely, though, over the last few years. They're really trying to kick it into an enterprise-type product, obviously with their premium package as well, where you can actually pay for it. But they have so many features now, it's insanely difficult to keep up, like with anything with Google. That's why we have Google Corner. So I wanted to run through, okay, let's just let's back it up a bit, because you know I think a lot of people get lost in the weeds and get stuck with what they're currently doing. Sure. Let's go through some of the, the main features that I think most people should be taking advantage of at least with Google Analytics and maybe talk about why you should be and what are some of the advantages. So number one on that list that I wanted to talk about was just basically how you can organize and structure your accounts and sites and views and what those different things mean. So inside your account, obviously that makes sense. Whatever you're logging in with, you can have different sites. 
a lot of people have different sites, but inside that, more importantly, are different types of views you can set up. Now, inside your views, you can apply specific filters. A common one is let's set up a view for that would exclude all of our employees at our company because we don't want their usage of our website to kind of skew our stats. Mm-hmm. Another one you might want to set up is maybe for different channels of traffic. Maybe if you rely heavily on email marketing, let's look at a separate view that just has that channel of traffic and you can set up filters for that. There's other examples too, but I think one of the key things is that a lot of people don't use this. When we, mm-hmm. when we work with new clients, they just have the basic one that just includes all of their data. So I wanted to run through a few scenarios. So those two are specific ones. But again, you can have multiple views. I think important harm the views of one another. So right. unfortunately, it's not retroactive. So let's let's take a property like thebeardmarketers.com. At any point, we can create a duplicate profile and GA to look at certain things like you talked about, email traffic potentially, or Maybe we want to look at all of our Stitcher listeners or whatever it might be. We can filter those people out. Unfortunately, it's not going to go back in time. It's mm-hmm. going to be from that point forward. But that new view will not affect your previous stats. So you can help keep a pure set of data, mm-hmm. but also focus your efforts on if you have a team that's solely dedicated, to use your example again, to optimizing email, let's create them something that's focused. So you don't have to worry about any of the noise that might be going on in our site. And so when they pull reports, it's going to be most relevant to them. So definitely important and not utilized as much as it should be. I've also used them for big changes to the site as well. Mm -hmm. So if we launch a new reskin or things like that, I'll create a new profile just to give us an idea of when that might have occurred. But keep that data set separate as well. You can do annotations and there's a couple other things that you can use. But I found that creating a new profile sometimes might be the best way to kind of keep track of that. To your point where you're talking about pure data, always important though, if you're going to use views with custom filters set on them, again, stuff is not retroactive. Uh, It's not forward-looking. Changes you make stick. So it's always important to have just a raw data view Mm -hmm. that just includes everything. And you can run custom segments on top of that if you screw something up with a filter on one of your other views. Well, that's an important point too, is by default with most clients I have, we create a sandbox account and we use that for testing. So if we are getting pretty complex with some of our filters, maybe we're doing IPs, different referral sources, things like that. And we're a little unsure if this is going to actually work or potentially have some unintended consequences. We'll use this profile that we don't rely on to roll out some new filters on it and watch the data over time just to make sure it's working correctly before we roll it out to everyone else. We spent a lot of time talking about that. I want to run quickly through a few more things that I think maybe people are aware of, maybe aren't quite aware of how to get them set up with. So remarketing, this is definitely something you need to be paying attention to. It was forever mostly linked inside AdWords, but now directly inside Google Analytics. You can set up remarketing lists that can be based on virtually anything that people do on your website, how much money they spend, what kind of pages they visit, where they came from. Set up your remarketing lists. And more importantly, too, not only can you set up those lists, you can set up combination type lists Mm -hmm. to include and then exclude people who are on this list and things like that. All of that stuff is important for anyone who's really trying to pay attention to remarketing and, and looking into doing that. Similarly to remarketing, enabling demographics and interest reporting can really give you some cool insights depending on what you do. Uh, Not everybody collects this type of data with their online processes, sign-up forms, whatever it is. 
Um, and a lot of companies pay a lot of money to merge this sort of information with their customer lists. Google Analytics has it for free. Simple, quick change to your code. You got to turn it on inside your views and you can get really cool information like, is it more males or females who buy certain types of products? You can just learn a lot about the, your users and interest categories, what they're interested in as well. So there's some cool data there. Keep in mind, you have to have a significant amount of traffic on your website for those things to be enabled. They don't want you to know specific things about specific visitors. They want to keep it sort of broad and generalized. Another thing, enhanced link attribution. Ooh, buddy. Now we're talking. Yeah. So for the longest time, Google had sort of click maps slash heat map type things you could look at. They were garbage. But they were absolute garbage, garbage. Uh, because you had multiple links that were the same URL on there. It could not discern between them. So turning on enhanced link attribution will figure all that stuff out for you. Give you some much better information on where people are clicking uh, to your category pages. Is mm-hmm. it from product pages? Is it from the home page? And you just get some much better information regarding your links. One thing that I'll spend some time on that I think a lot of people still don't invest enough time in is custom reporting. So... Mm-hmm. I use GA, I use Omniture quite a bit as well, and I feel that sometimes Google Analytics reporting is a bit clunky. To get around this, honestly, if you invest probably about an hour researching how custom reporting works within GA and how you can make your own reports, there's an hour that I've invested that has brought back many times back that investment and saving you time of juggling going from report to report because you find yourself oftentimes going, that's great. I'd love to see that with this data somewhere else. And it can be a bit of a frustrating process. So invest some time in understanding how custom reporting works, how you can build your own reporting views and dashboards. And I think that you can really save yourself some time, but also get at more intelligent data. You know, you don't have to do that juggling back and forth. You can see everything, you can export it and save yourself some time. Also, maybe you're like us, you have clients. I mean, from an agency standpoint, custom reporting can save you a ton of time and just being able to easily and quickly deliver that data to the client like you need to. So again, custom reporting can really save you in the long run. Let's, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but man, there's so many great features here that I feel like I, we need to talk about. Another one should pay us. that is key <laughs> is connecting to all the other Google products. So connecting your AdWords account to it, connecting your AdSense account, if that's relevant, and connecting your Webmaster Tools account, which everyone should have, pulls in a lot of that data directly into Google Analytics 4 you. If you have AdSense, you can find out how much money you're making on certain pages from certain traffic sources. With Webmaster Tools, it pulls in a lot of your SEO data, which has now disappeared from Google Analytics over time. Obviously, with AdWords, it pulls in campaign spends and stuff like that, and you can get a lot of that information. Another one, excluding URL query parameters, if they're irrelevant or if they're coming from other sources, other ad networks, whatever, that tack that crap on, filter out of your views. Again, you could set up a view that auto filters that stuff out for you. Or and, you can set and I custom think reports. something that might be worth pointing out and taking it a step further is with a lot of clients that we've worked with in the past, sometimes you have very ugly and hard to discern URLs. So you get into Google Analytics and you look at the pages that are getting reported. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe for whatever reason, URL structure was created at some point to where it's not friendly to the human eye. And with things like filters or even things like custom definitions or different tools within GA, you can actually rename the pages and how that information gets pulled into Google Analytics and can really save yourself some heartache and trying to understand what's really going on with your site. So if you have ugly URLs, check filters out, 
custom definitions, even how you send that page view data can really help clean that kind of stuff To up. your point, I'll mention two more things and then I'm done, I promise. Custom dimensions and custom metrics. Woo! Hugely powerful tool there. Mm-hmm. If you have an interactive site that people do things on, search things, you can capture all of that data with custom metrics, pull reports that pull that stuff in there and do some really cool and interesting things, especially if you have a site that people interact with heavily. Login type site where people do things on the site, you can really get some cool information. Last but not least, and this is a cool little one that I don't think a lot of people know about, and that is site search. Activating that inside your Google Analytics account, telling it, so let's say I'm an e-commerce site and I have a search form on there. You can tell Google Analytics basically how to interpret searches in that box. It will capture those queries and you'll be able to understand, okay, people are searching a lot for this type of product. People who search for that type of product buy this type of thing or spend this much or have come from these sources. Just pull all of your site search information into your Google Analytics account and you can get all that good data oh, yeah. and use that for your stuff. Again, that's one I don't think a lot of people know about or use. But uh, those are some just, that's not everything. There's still tons of things I could talk about. But we're going to end it there. Maybe okay. we do a part two on another episode. Well, give us a call or text us or reach out to us on the site. Is that something that you're interested in going more into the weeds with? We have a lot of experience there and can go quite far, but maybe too broad in the first swath. Maybe people are like, yeah, we already knew that. Yeah. We're, what else you got? So let us know. Let's move right along. And I wanted to spend some time here because, again, I feel like this is a forgotten, at least in the companies that I've been exposed to, sometimes an often forgotten frame of mind people put themselves into and understanding the value of focusing on the customer. I'll back it up a step and I feel that many people think, well, I'm trying to optimize my site. I'm trying to get more sales. So inherently, I'm trying to focus on the customer. Not really. You're focusing on yourself and how much more money you can make. Well, you're focusing on the customer's money. Right. How much of it you can get, right? But what, what do we mean by customer focus? And And this is sometimes the intangibles. What is our customer experience like? Not necessarily just the purchasing or the navigation on our site, but what is it like when they talk to people, customer support on our website? What is our packaging like when we deliver it to people? What is the tone of voice that we use in our emails? How much do we reach out to our customers to get their feedback on how we develop our products or what we're doing as a company? All these types of things. This is a more customer-centric view. What I wanted to cover here is there's a an interesting infographic. I think some of the data is a bit of a stretch, but it was used and compiled on Vision Critical. And they looked at a couple different studies out there. And really what they were trying to get after is for the companies that are more customer-centric, ones that are communicating more with their customers, they value the customer experience more. What is the net result? And oftentimes they have this almost proprietary scoring system, but in looking at the data, what they found is the highest growing and most well-respected companies had some of the highest scores in these areas. Customers that felt they were the center of customer support, that the companies were actually looking out for their goods and things of that nature. So they found that along with looking at companies and their performance, there were some pretty clear trends that the growing companies were keeping this in mind and customers were scoring them well. I think there might be some ancillary things that are playing into that. Some of the other metric points that are worth noting, does your company actually have someone on the board or person within has a seat at the decision table that their sole job is to think about the customer? So one thing that I found is interesting, and I was listening to a talk of JetBlue, actually, which I would say 
The airline industry as a whole doesn't have, I would say, the highest customer service satisfaction. You know, it's not one of those industries where people go, that's yeah. a bastion of customer well, service. I know there, I've never had a problem customer service wise with an airline. So I, I haven't guess, either because I'm I a normal like people person. people <laughs> bitch about that a lot. It's like that and cell phones. I've never True. had a problem with my cell uh, provider. I've had some. AT&T wasn't too good, but I gave them anyway, the can. So that was, Anyways. That was a side one. <laughs> But what was interesting about this talk is at JetBlue, they actually have an executive officer that is, I think it's the chief customer officer, an executive level. He oversees things like their 4C, customer retention, things of that nature. So they have a person dedicated on the boardroom level that sole job is to really pay attention to the customer and how they're feeling and being keyed into that information. I thought that that's an interesting example of a brand that is pretty well known to be one of the best in breed when it comes to airline service and, you know, uh, reputation. And so as a company, have you taken that in mind or as a marketer, have you looked holistically at, yes, we can potentially increase our conversions. We can have these ad campaigns and things like that, but what is the whole customer journey? And is there some other touch points that I need to pay attention to that might be influencing some of my efforts? So it's more of a theoretical, something I wanted to discuss for a couple of minutes, because I mean, I will say it, some of the clients, that we work with, that's oftentimes just a forgotten or side commentary. You know, we might have this department that does some order fulfillment surveys or things like that, but it's really just a pad PowerPoint. It's not really something that is taken into account on the decision levels. And so I think the infographic did have a couple of good habits of customer obsessed companies. So this is some of the habits they found time and time again when they discussed some of the best performers and customer satisfaction. And top one was providing customers with easy and quick help with real people to the obsess over every detail of the customer experience. I think that's very key, you know, from every touch point from us as a company, what is that customer experience like? And is there any potential leaky buckets there? Number three, get on the front lines of your customer interactions instead of remaining behind their desks. I think one of the tactical ways you can do that is potentially spend some time in other departments in your company. See what it's like in customer service or shipping or things like that, where people are touching your customers in different areas and see what those experiences are. Oftentimes, I find some of the best recommendations for testing coming from customer service people that oftentimes marketing is siloed or don't talk to. But those are the people that are on the front lines and obviously deal with maybe a different customer set because they're contacting us for help. So maybe they struggle more so than our typical population, but still some great information that you can glean from those people. I think this whole concept talking about here is a cultural one that you, it's either we care about the customers, which is sort of what you're talking to, or we don't really and we're just trying to figure out the ways to make the most money Mm -hmm. and it's funny with like virtually every company I've worked with or created or website or company I've worked with it's always one or two of those and it's pretty obvious when you start when you get in there and Mm -hmm. find out when we run tests with a certain client their feedback on it can give you a very good insight into I mean do they really care about the customer here because they want to be very clear about what they're getting and all of these sorts Mm -hmm. of things or they just care about results and performance and getting money right And I think that's kind of a relatively new thing. People trying to be open and solicit feedback from people and and run a company that I think is sustainable and is not just out there to just get everybody. Well, I think what oftentimes is left missing from a lot of the marketing equations is the cost of acquisition and the value of 
impressing and increasing satisfaction in customers to the point where they are becoming your marketers. It's always simply a numbers game with a lot of marketers that I talk with, and they don't really think along the concepts of sometimes there are these intangibles or these long-term effects that can happen with these efforts. Now, the tricky part is how do I report on those types of things? As a company, you have to value it kind of from the top down, as you mentioned. And, you know, so it's kind of more of a challenge to marketers. The last couple I'll talk about is some of the more customer obsessed companies value customer quality over customer quantity. I forgot what I was reading this week, but I thought it was an interesting frame of mind. And someone was asking, wouldn't you like to get more customers? And they said, if you answered yes, then you're a normal person. If you answered depends what kinds, then you're really thinking along the right track. And I thought that that was an interesting way to kind of frame the question and and how we maybe need to start thinking about things, especially from a customer standpoint. So I wanted to chat about that. Maybe I went a little bit on a tangent, but I do think it's really important on the online space that we don't lose sight of people just becoming numbers or customer orders or leads or invoices because sometimes we don't have that face-to-face but these are real people and if we treat them as such I think that's really where companies stand out. That's enough on that. Let's move over to native advertising slash curated content. What is that gobbledygook and where is it going in the future? I mean there's a lot of different versions of native advertising. I wanted to talk about maybe just a few of those and uh, maybe how we could leverage those as advertisers ourselves, but for those of us out there who are content curators as well, you know, sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, which type should we be using and should we even be paying attention to this or whatever? So let's give a couple examples. What is native advertising? A couple easy examples would be just head over to your Facebook profile or your Twitter account and look for a couple of those sponsored things that end up in your feeds. If you're on Twitter and you're looking to find someone to add, it's very likely that a couple of those suggestions are paid placements. I think those two examples, I think most people are aware of and have sort of accepted. If we're moving beyond that, I guess you could maybe almost consider Google AdWords listings as a, a form of native advertising. I think that they're very upfront and clear about the fact that these things are ads, but a lot of people aren't aware of that still, even in this day and age. Shocking. But I wanted to also talk about what I consider a more insidious form of native advertising, which I think is terrible, and I dislike it immensely, if I haven't said that enough yet. It's the type where, let's say I'm reading a magazine. This is in the offline world. Let's say I'm reading a magazine and I get to what they call advertorials or whatever. And it's three pages, an article with pictures and everything, but it's sponsored by Lexus or -hmm. whatever. That type of stuff where it's starting to get huge on the web now. I mean, this is what we're talking about, native advertising, where let's say I go to the Huffington Post or whatever. I'm not saying they do this specifically, but, you know, a type of BuzzFeed type news, uh, you're trying to come across as some sort of news site, but a lot of your articles are sponsored by major corporations centered around... That are essentially product releases. Their products, yes, <laughs> exactly. So this type of stuff, as an advertiser, I think these are probably extremely effective... Oh, I'm sure. ...forms of especially brand building, if you're the type of company who cares about brand building online, but even for direct call-to-action type stuff where I'm trying to do performance-based marketing, this stuff can be hugely effective, but... I just wanted to point this out. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about sponsored blog posts. I think this falls into the same sort of category. But Mm -hmm. the difference there is that large corporations are doing this. Whereas, you know, before I was sort of bitching about 
bloggers and small-time people doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. The fact that large corporations are doing it in this context sort of seems to make it seem like it's okay, sure. right? Like this is this Legit, the way that the board. internet and the mm -hmm. news articles and things like this have sort of gone. But I just wanted to caution people. I don't think that that level of stuff, in my opinion, <laughs> is kosher. I mean, I wanted to get your input on that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I'm just being way too... I don't, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for here. conspiracy, but, but <laughs> well, cynical about yeah, the nature of the content yeah. you're getting. Maybe I'm just too, I don't know. I really dislike that form of advertising. I feel like it's tricky mm -hmm. and it, something similar to this has been around for a long time. And that is that people will make their ad placements appear to be content on the websites right. where they're placing their ads. This has gone one step further and that it actually is content on that website right. and it is an ad at the same time too. So first of all, my thoughts on it, I mean, much like you, I've become very skeptical of the site. Look, I, I understand that people have to make money. And I think as a culture, what will be interesting is how our generation evolves and understanding that shit costs money, especially mm -hmm. online. It's amazing to me how many people feel entitled to get things for free where there is like some serious cost behind. I right. mean, people don't understand how much it costs to run a big website or have a video service or these types of things. So I fully understand that the items cost money to maintain things of that nature. But I think that does raise some people's eyebrow that you're having kind of this corporate sponsored content. What are some of the back things that are happening in your offices that might change how you might present something or hold things back, things of that nature? I think the nature of our generation and younger have become more and more skeptical. So things like this, I think, will maybe lose some of their luster. But also, I think companies need to be careful of potential backlash of who you allow to sponsor. Now, I would imagine most companies go through a pretty serious vetting process. But how many companies have we seen overnight turn into a garbage fire with social media justice or whoever yeah. Because of a single event and you now as a company are liable because you're now tied to that company and it can be hard. You can't just remove things from the internet anymore. And, yeah. you know, there is a serious risk. An interesting example is Chick-fil-A. It seemed overnight they became a very hot topic, but also a very divisive company. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what side of the fence that you were on, companies really have to be careful of when you go down these advertising routes really with any channel, but particularly when you're sponsoring content and things like that, you can run the risk of really opening yourself up to some liability. But also, I think in the future, I believe it's going to come into some regulation. Much like we've seen some of these sponsored blog posts, I think the FTC in the US and probably the EU is going to step in and say, okay, you might disclose this as advertisement, but how most companies do this is really not enough disclosure. And it appears to be something that it is not. I fully expect the landscape of this to change yeah. in the next couple of years, just with some regulations. And again, tightening it up, the internet is no longer the wild, wild west. It's a dedicated and large commerce stream and an information source. It's just natural that the government and people are going to get more involved and regulate how that goes about because there's some serious repercussions to what people are doing online. So absolutely. What are the latest trends at Google headquarters? Oh, we got some juicy ones, but we'll cover so. them rather quickly. So one thing, and I wanted to loop back on this because we mentioned this on the podcast a while ago. So there was, it's probably a month and a half ago, there was this big EU decision where one of the higher courts in the EU said people have the right to be forgotten on Google and can submit requests to have their content removed from Google. There's a lot of criteria around this and things like that, but it was a big 
hubbub and there was a lot of articles around it. People thought the sky was going to fall and things like that. What's interesting is there was actually a case about this in the UK. Courts of Lords, I believe, had a decision where they found that the right to be forgotten should not be imposed upon Google. And it's actually an unworkable and untenable requirement for them to do commerce in the nature of their business. So it's not the last that we've heard of this. And I wanted to keep people updated that there's still a lot of courtroom action going on about this concept of being removed from search engines and what is their responsibility. So we'll tweet out a link to it. There's an interesting Wired article you can read about the court decision and some of the comments of the judges. And I think it's really interesting. Again, I had a somewhat of a legal background, so maybe it's just interesting to me. But I find the whole concept interesting to how the internet navigates these privacy waters and how that always changes. Right. Last two things. These are going to be actually of local gearing, which I think sometimes we don't spend enough time on the podcast, but here's your moment to shine. Number one, there was a big update to Google's local search algorithm. So if you've noticed that your traffic from Google local listings or some of the other ways that you can market within their local algorithm have changed up, it's the pigeon update. If you want to keep track of all these animal names. I know, I was just thinking that. There was quite a shakeup for a lot of businesses. If that is part of your company model, make sure that you're paying attention to that because you might have seen some of your visits and where they're coming from change quite a bit in your metrics. A great way to revisit Rob's corner about GA and cleaning up some of that data. But also, if you're starting fresh, starting your Google business page, one of the things that people have been clamoring for for a long time is the business verification process with Google can sometimes be a bit painful. And so what they've allowed for now is if you install their Google Webmaster Tools, like Rob told you to, and you verify your site within Google Webmaster Tools, your Google business page will automatically become verified instead of having to wait for postcards and yeah. talk to people on the phone and things like that. Hmm. So it's a great new feature that they have. It can save you a lot of time and heartache, help get to market quicker. So if you're in the local space, check that out. We'll tweet out some links. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for spending your time. We wanted to really stir the pot and get some discussions going this week. So hopefully we got you thinking about some things. We'd love to hear your feedback. If you have an idea for the show, you can give us a call at 904-270-9603, or you can text us there as well. Uh, you can leave us a line on thebeardmarketers.com. We'd love to hear from you, or we're quite active on Twitter, so you can reach us there. If you enjoyed yourself, share we with a friend. We know you did. So, well, yeah, it's yeah. a given. But share with a friend, a colleague, or as Rob would say, perhaps a lover. And additionally, a homework item. Please leave us a rating or a review on whatever medium that you found us on. Greatly appreciated. Helps the show grow and reach a larger audience, which is, that's what our goal is, to educate those. If you'd like to be on the show, you can also reach out to us. Fair warning, though, product pitches, not no, our no. style, so might as well just not contact us. If you have some experience in the industry and you think you could help the audience, feel free to reach out to us. Again, thank you so much for your time. This is Robin Corey signing off. We'll see you next week. Gia. Gia.